You're listening to episode 56 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for birds on the black. He's Alex, joined by friend of the show Ben Godar, just in time for the Cardinals to finally start making some off-season noise. Hey everyone, this is episode 56 of the Chirps podcast from Birds on the Black. Tara Wellman is not here with us this week, which is why I'm doing the introduction. But we are joined by uh, somewhat of a regular guest now, uh, Ben Godar of Viva Albertos. Uh, ben, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for uh, thank you for continuing to have me back. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I know you're a movie guy, and I, sh- I should tell you, I just got done listening to a podcast, the uh, the Rewatchables podcast uh, on Godfather Two, which uh, is yeah is widely known as like one of the greatest movies ever. I would probably call it, uh, if not the best movie ever, then it shares that title with the first Godfather. Uh, but there's a famous line. Uh, well, I don't know how famous it is, but there's a line in Godfather 2 where Hyman Roth says, I've loved baseball ever since Arnold Rothstein fixed the World Series in 1919. So, so I'm ready to talk some baseball. Yeah, let's do it. In honor of Hyman Roth, I guess. Right, yeah. <laughs> He's our gangster of the week here on... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the offseason. The Cardinals, uh, I guess this is somewhat timely because the Cardinals uh, finally did something kind of noteworthy in that they uh, signed a guy from the uh, KBO... Um, he goes by KK, and that's what I'm going to call him because I just really don't want to get his name wrong. But he's a he's a Korean uh, baseball player, uh, a left-handed starter. Uh, as I saw the stats, I believe he appeared in 31 games last year, and he started 30 of them. So I'm assuming that means we're bringing him over as a starter. Uh, I did not watch the press conference today. I think you did. Is that right? Yeah, I actually just happened. I was able to jump on my computer right as it started, so I, I did watch the press conference. Was the impression from the press conference uh, that he is going to be a starter, or do we even know? Do we even care about that right now? Well, in in what's going to be very surprising to you, uh, Mo was cagey about that. Um, <laughs> uh, the 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 question came up. Uh, they asked. Uh, they asked uh, KK. Uh, and there's been some. Uh, apparently, the the gentleman who was doing his translation was uh, his his agent or some kind of representative, but not somebody who's a kind of professional translator. So he was very apologetic about his English, and it was a little uh, halting what came back and forth. But uh, the gist of it that came through was that KK said essentially he wants to be a starter, and he's looking forward to kind of competing for a starting role, but, uh, you know, he respects the team's decision and, you know, will, will, you know, perform whatever role, uh, you know, whatever role they want him to. Um, Mo said, referred to him as somebody who could start and kind of suggested that he has a lot of value for them because of his uh, flexibility, essentially. Okay. And if I recall at some point, the idea of getting a lefty starter was kind of on some sort of shopping list or short list, whatever you want to call it. So I feel like we're assuming this guy has a very good chance of being a starter in the rotation. Um, and I would also think that means that last spot, because I, I know Wainwright would probably be competing for a spot too, but it's hard for me to think they're bringing Wainwright back 
if he's not going to be a starter, even if he doesn't pitch well in spring training. Yeah. Um, so I'd have to think that last spot, we're looking at either Hudson or Carlos, right? Well, you know, it's it's interesting to me. I think, um, I mean, you know, Flaherty and Michaelis, I think, are really kind of the two that are, are really firmly set. Um, and all of the other guys, I feel like there's a, a universe where they are starters and there's a universe where they're not. Um uh, you know, Wainwright, obviously his pedigree is a, a starter, et cetera, but we all know that his performance, uh, you know, he's, he's hanging on at kind of back into the rotation, um, you know, guy at this point in his career. And so, uh, were he to slip even a bit, perhaps he's somebody that you look at bumping out of there. Hudson is, uh, Hudson's an interesting guy. He put up really pretty good kind of traditional baseball card stats last year, but with some, fairly alarming underlying numbers too. So uh, I feel like he's another guy who you could see kind of break either way. Uh, I do think he does have some of the skills of your kind of traditional fit beater. So I I could see him being a guy who continues to get better than expected results despite some, uh, you know, pretty bad kind of FIP and underlying type numbers. But I think it's also pretty easy to see him, you know, blowing up and being a, five and a half ERA type guy. Uh, and then Carlos, it's, it's obviously just a hundred percent a question of health and uh, do they feel like his shoulder can sustain in the ro- you know, in the rotation or not. So that's kind of the question marks with all those guys. And then uh, as far as, as far as KK goes, uh, you know, I think I'm with most Cardinals fans. I really didn't know anything about him until about 9 PM last night. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. I've done a lot of reading since then. And uh, what I found is a little conflicting. Um, I, there are some people who feel pretty strongly about his ability as a starter, think he could, uh, you know, certainly slide in as a like mid to back end of the rotation guy. There's others who are a little more skeptic about it and and, and see him as more likely a, a bullpen uh, and possibly even a multiple inning out of the bullpen guy. So I guess we'd have to maybe tab him as a swing man right now, I suppose. Um, okay. And – if I recall, he had Tommy John in 2017, uh, right. so so missed all of all that season. But from what I read, and, and like you, I had I had not heard of this name until uh, whenever that first news broke. I think it was from like Ken Rosenthal tweet. Uh, but as I understand it, when he came back from Tommy John, he his control was much better. That his, his walk rate really went down. Uh, and it's what two years, eight million. So even if you know worse, even if it doesn't work out it's obviously not going to be a disaster by any right. stretch of the imagination. So it's hard to feel bad about this deal, at least in oh, yeah. and of itself. Uh, you can still yeah. feel bad about the Cardinals off season, but this deal seems like nothing but upside. A hundred percent. And, uh, you know, and I think if he ends up being a guy who logs some starting innings, of course, feel fantastic about it. But yeah. even if we just assume he's going to be a bullpen guy, for me, I, I mean, I am religiously against paying money for relief pitchers. And uh, this, to me, is exactly the way that you, you build bullpens is you go out and you get guys who are, whether it's a minor league free agent, whether it's somebody coming out of the KBO, whether it's you find these guys that have some potential without a, a huge outlay. And then, uh, you know, when they hit and they're successful, you reap a lot of rewards. But you don't have, a, you know, a Brett Cecil or an Andrew Miller or somebody who uh, kind of underwhelms, but they're they're locked into your uh, you know, into your roster for however many years because you, you know, agreed to pay them $30 million. 
Speaking of the of the KBO, you know, Cardinals have had success with with players uh, from there before. What is do we know what most people consider the the talent level equivalent of? Would it be AAA? Would it be above AAA? Somewhere between? Would it be closer to quadruple A? I mean, obviously that would seem kind of high, but yeah, is there kind of a um, or can you even make a direct comparison like that? I don't even know. I, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, Mo said at the press conference that they're, you know, they're scouting out there, identified this guy, and that was supported by analytics. So, yeah. um, you know, they've, they've got, and every team has their internal numbers that they can crunch where they, they feel like this is what this guy's doing in Korea or in Japan or in some independent league or, you know, in my backyard playing wiffle ball, they've got an algorithm to, you know, translate that to, uh, you know, to the majors. And, and apparently he kind of fit in there. So um, we'll see what one thing I, that's been, it was interesting to me about this. This is, I'm, I'm almost certain this is the first time that they've signed a player from Japan or Korea and paid the posting fee. Um, every other guy, Sung Wan Oh, Miles Michaelis, uh, th- these guys were all uh, kind of unrestricted free agents where they did not have to pay a posting fee. And I always thought that was interesting because to me, that was just always one of those quirks of the Cardinals front office that I'd identified. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain markets and certain ways they like to acquire players. And this had been one that they had never really gone into was this, you know, posting fee where you not only negotiate your contract for the player, but then you have to pay their their club and and in this case uh from what i read the, the cardinals will have to pay 20 percent of his contract back to his team so they sign in for two years and eight million um you know uh i guess what so that's two million dollars is that right yeah I'm terrible at math uh yeah so essentially it's you know more like two years and, and ten million dollars which okay. you know of course it makes sense I mean, if you just calculate that as all part of the deal and you still feel like that makes sense but it was interesting to me because they've never done this before but they they did do it here so the the, the wallet is starting to open a little bit uh, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh, everybody on twitter is saying that they're they're so impressed <laughs> the, the outlay of spending by uh, <laughs> the cardinals front office speaking of that uh I think to the surprise of no one, the Cardinals didn't seem to be anywhere near the discussions with Garrett Cole, and he ended up signing for nine years, three hundred twenty-four million uh, with the Yankees, uh, which is awesome for him. Uh, yeah. Also awesome for us in baseball because last year at this time, uh, for whatever reason, the market uh, was just completely different, and you know that can happen when you have completely different free agents on the market last year um, as compared to this year. But this offseason certainly has been um, a lot better. And I'm happy Cole got that payday. I'm happy the Yankees, you know, you know, paid him. Uh, I, I would have been thrilled if the Cardinals had also done that while also, uh, you know, worried like, well, that, that's certainly a lot of money for a pitcher. We, yeah. we know how um, fickle uh, a career of a pitcher can be. Yeah. Uh, but my next thought went to Jack Flaherty uh, because while he's not as probably as good as Garrett Cole, his second half at least was certainly as good as Garrett Cole. And it also made me think that I believe he's going to be a free agent, what, after the 2024 season, he's going to be eligible for what arbitration, I guess, what, 2021, if I have that right. And I started thinking, is there 
in light of the coal contract and, you know, Strasbourg did well too, is there any universe in which Jack Flaherty is a Cardinal after his uh, team controlled years? Yeah. Well, I think there is, but I think it's a universe where uh, just as with signing a, a player uh, with a, uh, a posting fee, the, the Cardinals change how they've traditionally done things. Uh, and I, I actually, I wrote a couple weeks ago a piece, uh, I think the title of it was the, the Cardinals need to stop bidding against themselves. But this is one, yeah, of, the, yeah, cool. this is one of the ideas I was kind of trying to get at there. You know, they, the, the Cardinals have avoided the open market like the plague. I mean, particularly for top tier free agents. They just really have not done it. Um, uh, instead, of course, you know, their move is to often acquire guys by trade or just guys that are already in their organization and then signing them to extensions. And so, you know, last year we really saw this kind of not not play out very well for them, uh, of course, with that Matt Carpenter extension and, uh, you know, but also with the Paul Goldschmidt extension. And, and I think it's fine that they have Goldschmidt locked up for the years that they do and everything, but they, they signed both of those guys at the beginning of the season and, and both uh, underperformed by varying degrees what was expected of them. So, you know, the bottom line is if they went to uh, sign an extension with either of those players at the end of the season, they would have paid quite a bit less. And I feel like this all ties into this belief that the Cardinals have that once a player hits the open market, it, they're just going to have, you know, stupid money thrown at them. And they're going to, it's going to be inflated to a level that they're not going to pay at all. And I think that was true for a long time in the 90s, in the you know 2000s. But at this point, I just feel like every club has pretty solid analytics and everybody's valuation of players is getting to be you know pretty similar. So when I see the open market, it looks pretty smart to me and it looks pretty reasonable. So how that plays in with Jack Flaherty is I think if he continues to be the pitcher that he's shown himself to be and that we expect himself to be, you know, he's absolutely going to be in that $300 million category when he hits free agency, but that's going to be appropriate for him. That's going to be the cost of a player like that. And, and the Cardinals should not balk at, at paying him if that's where, where he is, you know, at, at, when he hits free agency. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I, I'm sure some people would say like, well, look, Garrett Cole is, um, quite possibly the uh, best pitcher in baseball. Uh, and, you know, Jack Flaherty has had half a season where he has kind of been on that level. So maybe we should slow down. But I think my reply to that would be is he's also going to be younger than Garrett Cole when he hits free agency. Um, yeah. I, I think by at well, least – go ahead. Yeah, and I, I was going to say, I mean, as I recall, Cole's initial year, you know, first few years in Pittsburgh was – I mean, he was good, but he was not – you know, I mean, he wasn't the pitcher he was now, and he's one of the guys who kind of famously went to Houston, and and you know, Houston told him exactly <laughs> yeah. which pitches to throw, and and he you know really elevated himself. But I, I haven't looked to compare him, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know at this point in Cole's career he was you know at the same level and probably even a little below what Flaherty's done. I think uh, Mike Petriello had a tweet today comparing. Uh, or talking about like just the timeline of who the Pirates acquired um, when they traded Cole to the Astros. Oh yeah, I saw um, that. 
ju- yeah, juxtapose against what Cole just signed for. And I, I can't even tell you right now, I think it's four, three or four guys that the Pirates um, acquired, but it's three or four guys who probably aren't ever going to um, get a contract of, of three, uh, combined yeah. worth $324 million, I, or I, probably um, – go ahead. I actually just found the tweet, yeah. it's uh, okay. In 2018, he was traded for Michael Feliz, Joe Musgrove, Jason Martin, and Colin Moran. Oh, okay, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and – so I, I think that goes to your point that, yeah, yeah Cole was certainly regarded as um, a very good pitcher in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, he pitched their uh, – I know he pitched their wild card game against the Cubs. I, I feel like maybe he did that against that game against the Giants as well, or I could be wrong. But in other words, he was kind of considered their ace, and obviously he was right. young. Uh, but he wasn't quite what he, he he wasn't what he was in Houston, uh, evidenced by the return they got from from the Astros. So I, I don't know where I'm going with this, other than just yeah, like like yeah, Garrett Cole is the best pitcher in baseball. But like what you said, Jack Flaherty might be ahead of him, you know, at this point um, in his career. And like Jack Flaherty is just entering his age 24 season, and if last if the second half of last season. Um, you know, obviously, no one's expecting him to do that uh, going forward, especially you know, over the course of a whole season. But if that is kind of the type of pitcher he is, meaning one of the best in baseball, yeah, then absolutely. By the time he hits free agency, he is going to be expensive, just like these guys are expensive, and the Cardinals are going to probably have to start dipping their toes in those waters uh, eventually, right? I mean, yeah. what is their is Holiday still their their biggest? Uh, free agent signing. Yeah, I, mean, so, or, or but I, I always feel like that one's a little tricky too because he had still played here beforehand, and he played he played that half season after he was traded, right. and then uh, and became a free agent. So yes, technically right. he was a free agent, but he still had a little bit of that pedigree. I mean, that, that still applies with uh, with Flaherty too, I guess. So I suppose it's a non-issue there. I did just look up. Uh, I like baseball references uh, most similar by age thing. I just always feel like it's kind of interesting to get like comps on a guy. Mm-hmm. So so Jack, Jack Flaherty, his twenty age twenty two and twenty three seasons, his comps are uh, Michael Pineda and uh, Josh Beckett. So you know okay. that's pretty good. I mean, especially twenty three year old Josh Beckett. Although now I'm looking at Garrett Cole's. And his 22 and 23 are uh, Noah Syndergaard and Juan Marichal. So that's a little better. <laughs> <laughs> Do you uh, – so speak of Flaherty, if you recall in the uh, – uh, I believe it was uh, game five against the, the Braves when we were just uh, already kicking their butt and Flaherty was still in the game and, you know, yeah. some people were not too happy about that. But I believe he threw at Ronald Acuna. Um, do I have that right? Or am I thinking, didn't he plunk Ronald Acuna or at least threw in his direction well after the game was out of hand? Uh, I remember, I remember there was, uh, shenanigans. And to be honest, I don't remember. I don't feel like I remember him like, like hitting him, throwing at him. But did he just kind of throw one inside or? I feel like I remember him plunking him. Um, this just yeah, goes to show you how, I, I could be wrong, but it just goes to show you how, 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 quickly baseball moves and that something, you know, was, could have been a, yeah. a you know, and yeah. just like it's a, it really is a 24 hour news cycle uh, in baseball, but it, it, uh, I, it, 
Yeah, I was I, I was watching that game at the uh, Chicken Coop in West Des Moines with a few of my uh, Cardinals buddies here in town, and you know, by the end of that first inning, we were uh, <laughs> feel, you feel know we were we were we were more interested in having our drinks, and uh, <laughs> so I I didn't watch it uh, the rest of that game with the, the closest of scrutiny. Well, it reminded me of, and this just kind of like a testament to fandom because you know I didn't I didn't really. Uh, Certainly, I don't want Ronald Acuna getting hurt or anything like that. I, I like Acuna, but it didn't bother me because you know I'm a Cardinals fan, and you know, like, yeah, let's uh, you know, let's let's do our thing. But it reminded me of when Matt Cain. I don't know if you remember this when the Giants were blowing out the Cardinals in Game Seven of the uh, 2012 NLCS, just a disaster of a game. And because of that hard slide holiday had earlier in the series. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what it was, Marco Scudero. Am I am I, am I remembering this correctly? Right. Yeah. right, And then of course, Marco Marco Scudero turned into Babe Ruth after yeah. that. But uh, whatever. Uh, late in that game, when that game was well out of hand, uh, Matt Cain plunked uh, Matt Holiday, yeah. and I was so mad about it. I was so mad about it. Uh, and and it, so this was kind of the same thing again, if I'm remembering it correctly. And I was like, "Hey, cool, all right, yeah, we really showed them." You know, <laughs> it's just like the exact situation. Right. And because right. I'm the Cardinals fan, which you know, it's totally fine. That's sort of how how fandom works. But I think my long winded question or comment here is like, if you follow Flaherty on Twitter, he's a pretty like ornery guy. Like he's not afraid to mix it up. Uh, yeah at all with people uh, obviously yeah. on the field and off the field. Uh, is this a good thing? I, I tend to sometimes think it is with pitchers when they kind of have that, like, uh, I don't know if it's a good thing to, in terms of like, would I want to like go out and hang out with them and have a drink with them and, and stuff like that. Right. Although I'm sure he's certainly a nice guy, but it seems like, yeah, pitchers who have that sort of edge to them that can work in their favor. Yeah. I, yeah. I, that's interesting. I mean, there's definitely the those real just kind of red ass guys. I mean, when they're on your team, it's it's you know charming and it rallies your fandom. And when they're uh, on another team or in public or you know you encounter them in any other walk of life, you know it's pretty um, <laughs> you know uh, insufferable. So uh, I don't know. The thing I noticed with Flaherty is, I mean, to me, he seems clearly a guy who he is not going to take the early extension hometown discount. I think he's, you know, said that just about uh, explicitly. So, um, you know, I don't think he's a guy that they're going to, you know, get any kind of, you know, sweetheart hometown deal from. So, so that's interesting. You don't think there's any chance the Cardinals could buy out any of his RB years like they've done with, uh, I mean, well, it's probably even less likely in light of the Cole contract. Like maybe he'd be crazy to, not wait till previous yeah and i mean if, if they do if they do i think it's because they're they're paying you know they're at exactly what the sort of market value looks like for it um i don't think they're going to get any kind of a of a discount um but you know i'm also expecting s- some pretty serious changes in uh the next collective bargaining agreement and so uh, you know to some extent who knows what that's what that's going to do um it feels like it's so things are so broken right now that there's going to be, I, I expect some kind of structural change, not just kind of moving the numbers around. So, um, you know, those guys that are going to be hitting what's now free agency past this current CBO. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I feel like it's even harder to speculate what that's going to look like. Yeah. I, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because 
uh, obviously with with so many players um, who are still in their um, you know under team control, we're always speculating about their about their free agency. Um, even when that you know uh, is is past the ne- the next CBA, when when things when we don't even know what what sort of things we're going to be dealing with, and right. so yeah, that's a very good point. It's going to be very it's very hard to speculate right now what what Flaherty. What, what a contract could look like or any of that stuff because we don't even know um shoot as far as we know he could uh i mean have they ever talked about like like getting rid of the six years team control or getting moving at the five year you know it can, yeah that would be pretty radical i guess but you know but that's the point we don't even know what it's gonna what this right what it's even gonna look like i guess yeah 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 i feel like there's gonna be a battle somewhere there and uh i don't know if i mean i'm sure the owners will hang on to those six years tooth and nail and maybe you know maybe arbitration starts sooner um you know um those first few years of you know league minimum salary are pretty egregious if you're a player yeah i i feel like at the very least they have to get rid of service time at least the 12 days thing or, or whatever it is. Like if, right. look, if you want to, if you want to gain an extra year of a guy's service time, then it should be, you have to hold them out until like mid June or something like to get, give it some teeth to it. Right. Like, right. like, cause if you take the, like the, I always go back to the Chris Bryan example, just because that's the most famous one, uh, especially right. in light of the fact that there's an ongoing grievance about it. Right. But let's say, it was like, okay, if you want to, you know, gain an extra year of service time, you're going to have to keep them down to like June 15th or something or, or June 1st. Well, the Cubs, e- even though they had been bad leading into that season, it was pretty clear that the Cubs had a, had a good team. Mm-hmm. And there's no way they would have done that, I, I don't think. I, I think they would have just been like, well, you know, look, we can't risk, we can't risk having uh, – you know, Mike Olt, our third baseman, right. <laughs> going into mid June when we, we honestly think we might have a legit chance to compete here. Right. Uh, we got to bring him up. Whereas, you know, April 12th or April, you know, 14th or whatever, it doesn't really matter. So I, I think at the very least, I would like to see that rule get uh, just be done away with because it's such a farce. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And speaking of, I, I don't, is there a reason? I don't know if there's a reason why Bryant's grievance is taking so long. Uh, his name has been in the, I guess, rumor mill about like being on the trading block, but I, right. I'm skeptical. I, I, I feel like the Cubs are just dangling him out there in the event some team that's really in a win now mode is going to blow them away with like a prospect package. Uh, because certainly a, a rebuilding team is not going to going to trade for him. Uh, but especially in light of the fact that his grievance is ongoing, so we don't even know how many years of team control that he still has left. I think teams could probably certainly make an assumption that he's not going to win that grievance, um, maybe. Right. I, I feel like that's been the what most people think. But yeah, like he seems to have one of the most weird uh situations right now just because no one even knows like really (laughs) like how can you trade for a guy if you don't know how many years you're going to get from the guy well well but you know the same thing applies to to nolan arenado who you know again who knows if he's really uh on the trading block there were those reports last week that the rockies had apparently said they were at least willing to listen and he's got, I believe, in two years he has an opt out, and so the uh, you know it's kind of the same issue with him. Is that, well, if you're going to trade for a guy 
but you don't know if you're trading for two years of that player or um, you know five years or in, in Brian's case, are you getting one year or two years? You mm-hmm. know, I don't really know how you uh, you know how you value that. Uh, that you know, it's, it just becomes a lot trickier situation, right? Like it's it's I, I'm I'm always totally fine just signing a free agent and throwing those opt outs at him um, because with the assumption that look, if he exercises an opt out, that means he did well. You right. know, the fear is he he doesn't. Right. <laughs> you know, I guess like. You know, I right. Jason Hayward would be a would be a uh, prime example, I, I guess, of that. Right. Um, but if you if you different when you're trading for him, yeah, but yeah, exactly. If you sign the guy with the opt outs, you know, and he opts out, you don't have to pay him that money. But if you traded away prospects for him, you know, they don't they, they don't return the the prospects that exceeded the value you you know you got when he opted out. So. <laughs> right. Right. Like you, you traded thinking, you know, that this is yeah. I, I don't even know what those negotiations would would even look like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On, on that front, so like, I think this is what I've been thinking about the most this off season with regard to the Cardinals. And that's that like the Cardinals aren't like the Yankees in terms of success, but they're almost like the Yankees light. Right. right? And like they, you know, they, I was looking at this stuff for a, for a post I wrote uh, earlier this week. Um, They have not finished below 500 uh, since 2007. Right. And, since 2000, that's the only time they finished below 500. So they're basically going on 19 of 20 years. And 25 of 30 teams have finished below 500 as recently as 2014. Wow. The only teams that haven't are the Yankees, Cardinals, Dodgers, Nationals, and Indians. Uh, I think 75% of Major League Baseball teams have had a last place finish this decade. Wow. 75% of the teams. And the Cardinals haven't finished in last place since 1990. So like, you know, we are pretty lucky to be uh, fans and to follow this franchise and that they've been very, very successful. Uh, Not Yankees successful, but probably, you know, the next best thing. And if we want to talk about recently, the last decade, you know, the Cardinals at least have, you know, a couple of pennants, they have a World Series and the Yankees, uh, astonishingly, didn't even uh, win a pennant uh, this decade. Uh, And I guess where I'm going with this is like, but I still get mad at the team, you know. I still, when they're sort of complacency and, as we talked about earlier, reluctance to even entertain looking into guys like Rendon, uh, Strasburg. Like to me, Strasburg would be a perfect uh, type of pitcher to have on the Cardinals, you know. Wow. I, and I and I try to think like, you know, am I am I a spoiled fan for being mad at them like like am i not appreciating them enough like where what kind of fan do we need to be here like like what's i obviously like there's no proper way to be a fan but how do you draw the line of like look yes we know you've been very good we're all appreciative of the fact that this you know the model has been very successful and you know we also recognize that you guys at least we assume you guys know more than we know that said, we're still going to keep the pressure on you. We're still going to get mad when we don't think you're trying to make an effort to sign the best players because, and especially this year, it really looks like they could land a knockout punch in the NL Central before it even begins. Now, obviously, that's a crazy statement to say because for a sport that plays 162 games, but they could at least be the clear-cut favorite to win the division. 
And, and it's frustrating that they don't seem to want to take that extra step, uh, whatever that extra step may be. Um, but it goes back to my question of, am I crazy for even like being upset about this? Yeah, no, I, I wrestle with this too. And I mean, if you're a Cardinals fan, I don't know how you, how you couldn't. And, um, I feel like, uh, you know, and I, I see people at the two extremes and, and both positions kind of turn me off. You know, um, I see, uh, people with just, you know, the kind of vitriol and hand wringing and, you know, what, what is this front office doing? These, you know, this is the worst run franchise in baseball. And of course you're like, I mean, we were in the NLCS last season, <laughs> you know, on top of, the, you know, decades of success that you detailed. So that feels a little, uh, you know, a little extreme, you know, by the same token, you know, like you, I don't want to be Mr. You know, make excuses for the, for the front office guy and, you know, Mr. Just kind of, uh, you know, trust, you know, trust in them and everything will work out. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's somewhere in between. I do feel like on the, the whole idea of kind of, are we spoiled or not? Uh, every team, I think, you kind of have your own baseline, you know? And so being a Cardinals fan, we do have a a fairly high baseline and the Yankees fans have a fairly high baseline and now Dodgers fans and Red Sox fans. And uh, so your expectations are a little bit different. I um, sit next to a guy at work who's a big White Sox fan and, you know, we will talk. I mean, we have very different expectations (laughs) for what our teams are going to do. And we have very different definitions for what, success might look like. And and I think to an extent that's okay. You know, I don't think, I think if your team has established a high baseline, it's still okay to be frustrated when they, they, they aren't more aggressive or they don't uh, maybe take chances. Uh, I think it, there's a, you know, there's, there's a line in there somewhere, but I'm with you, man. It's tough to, it's tough to know how to feel. Yeah. And it seems as though you don't want to just wait until, uh, um, the team all of a sudden is just like, oh, we're terrible. You know, <laughs> like kind of like the situation the Giants found themselves in uh, after years of uh, being right. successful where they, uh, from what I understand, don't have a very good farm system and don't have a ton of talent at the uh, major league level. I think they mentioned on Effectively Wild, the Giants were the only team in baseball by baseball reference war to not have a three-win player last year, which is pretty oh, remarkable. Yeah. Uh, and – you know, I just don't want to end up where like all of a sudden we're there and we're like, wait, what happened? Uh, oh, it's because right. the front office wasn't doing anything uh, or at least right. like uh, acting with any sense of urgency the last couple of years. Obviously, that's been offset by the fact that, yeah, they just won the uh, NL Central and they were mm-hmm. in the NLCS. And that reminds me, uh, I, I think one of the stupidest narratives um, I saw recently and it's not like this was a big thing uh, or a popular sentiment, but people saying like after the Cardinals got just absolutely got their butts kicked in the NL Central, I mean, not the NL Central, but the NLCS, yeah. saying that, well, the Cardinals didn't really deserve to be in the NLCS. And I'm like, well, let's see. They, yeah. they won the NL Central. They had uh, the best run differential in the NL Central. They had a winning record against every team in the NL Central. And then guess what? They won the NLDS. <laughs> like, right. So what, yeah. what else do you have to do to deserve to be in the NLCS? They obviously didn't deserve to be in the World Series because they were flat out embarrassed in the NLCS. But 
I don't, I don't see how you can even say with a straight face they did not deserve to be in the NLCS. I don't even know what that means, frankly. Yeah, that seems like just kind of a stupid argument, frankly. Um, yeah, and you know, the, this organization has very openly made the calculus that their mission is to compete every year. And they're one of the very few organizations that, that is set up that way. And, and most organizations have moved to the kind of, uh, you know, tanking and then windows of contention sort of model. And, and that's another thing when we look at moves the Cardinals don't make, I, I think they could be more aggressive than they are for sure. For sure. And particularly when it comes to payroll, I think they're, um, inappropriately stingy with their payroll, but, uh, at the same time, I, I, I appreciate the fact that they compete every year. And I mean, at any point, yeah, they could, they could push all of their chips in. Um, you know, they could have signed Garrett Cole or Anthony Rendon this off season and, uh, traded guys out of their farm system. I mean, if the, if the Cardinals ever went all in, I mean, they could create an absolute juggernaut. I mean, they could no doubt create a 110 win team and and maybe have you know two and a half years of of that but then exactly then they'd become the giants then they'd become uh you know what the phillies have been for the last decade i mean it's it, it's and i don't want that <laughs> so right no i i am 100 with you on there i i think that's what i do appreciate about the cardinals is those um those kind of stats i rattled off earlier about the you know not finishing below 500 or, you know, never finishing in last. And obviously like the not finishing below 500 stat, you know, doesn't allow for a ton of context. Like certainly we weren't like throwing a parade when the Cardinals finished 83 and 79 in 2017. Mm -hmm. Uh, But like you said, it's certainly much better than like, I I don't even know what it's like to try and follow a team that is tanking. Um, Like, are you even still watching games in August? Uh, and, and I say that only because we haven't really seen it in our lifetimes. Yeah. Uh, and, and we are, frankly, pretty lucky uh, in that regard. And I think also, if I was a Cubs fan right now, I would be absolutely losing my mind. Um, and I say that thinking like it's been a bit overblown, like their demise. I, I think, you know, that, that core is still in place. Uh, Madden was pretty much a lame duck manager last year. Um not that we know if Joe Ross or Joe Ross, David Ross is going to be a good manager, but I don't think Madden was at the top of his game last year, whatever that even means for a manager. Um, and, you know, they were still pretty good by base runs record and all that stuff. So I, I think they're, you know, I don't think their window is shut, but if I was a fan of that team, knowing how profitable that team is, knowing, where they're spending that money and basically turning like Wrigleyville into Disney world yeah. instead of kind of like putting that money into the roster. Mm-hmm. I would be absolutely losing my mind. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think I, when the Cubs first came up in 2015, it looked like that was something that was built for 10 to 15 years, yeah. not five. Well, it, it seems like it could have been if they made choices that, I mean, you know, if they didn't trade Glabar Torres and if they didn't trade, 
uh, 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 oh gosh, uh, who's the outfielder they traded to the White Sox? Uh, Jimenez. Jimenez. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Aloy Jimenez. I mean, they, I mean, they, they a hundred percent pushed all in, you know, and, and who knows? I mean, it did get him that world series in 2016 and given the, you know, horrific track record of that franchise, you know, I, you could certainly make an argument that that was worth it. And, and I would believe that, but it, uh, yeah, but it's, it's absolutely sacrificed the idea of this perpetual contender, uh, for them. Um, and so, and, and the stuff now with needing to shed payroll, we're at a weird place in baseball when we've got, you know, the, the the Cubs potentially saying, well, we need to trade Chris Bryant and the, you know, the Red Sox potentially saying, well, we need to trade Mookie Betts, which, you know, when, when we've got like, you know, two of the four biggest payrolls in baseball saying we have to cut, you know, we, 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 we have to cut payroll. That's just a weird, weird place to be in. I almost feel like the Ricketts, like they made this deal where someone said, all right, this is what we're going to do. Uh, just as like a sociological experiment, uh, you're going to kind of be the architect of the Cubs winning their first World Series title since 1908. Their first World Series title in, what, 108 years. And then we want to see how quickly you can take that goodwill and go to being completely loathsome by almost 100% of the fan base. Like that's your challenge. Like, can you do it? Can you do it? In, can you do it in three years? And they've pulled like it's it's remarkable. Yeah. You know, obviously there's some political stuff that goes into that as well. Uh, that so there were certainly people who would never like them. Uh, I'm I don't need to get into this stuff, but I would probably fall in that camp if they were the Cardinals owners. But yeah. but just the fact that like they should be sitting on top of the world, yeah. <laughs> I feel yeah. like, and and they squandered it. I don't know if they care about goodwill as much as they care about their you know. Right. Profit. Right. Still. Well, I, I mean, and again, without getting too political, I, I, I come from a worldview where, you know, all billionaire sports franchise owners are, are basically scumbags. But the Ricketts family are, you know, they're they're bearing the needle on scumbags. So, um, you know, like if the fact that they're behaving this way is perhaps less surprising, I guess. But do you watch Succession by any chance or have you heard the show? You know, that's, one I, that's one I actually haven't started on. So. OK. So, but but if you want to talk, if you want to talk about uh, Watchmen, I'm, I'm, you know, we can go for another three, four hours. Well, that's the one I haven't watched yet. But the uh, Succession, you, you've definitely heard of this show, right? It's, uh, oh yeah, it's, it's definitely modeled after like the Murdoch family. Uh, I, right, I, right. I don't think directly, like that's certainly the the biggest influence. But there's probably several families that they're pulling from, and right. it would not shock me if the Ricketts are near the top uh, and it really uh, makes me think of when they when the that email dump kind of came out yeah. where all the family were all like kind of the siblings were like squabbling with each yeah. other over yeah. ownership rights and stuff like that it's very similar to uh to this show but yeah. you know certainly if you've never seen it we don't need to uh have a one-sided conversation <laughs> about about succession it's good though i enjoy it i'm trying to think like Let's say we're breaking for spring training tomorrow, mm-hmm. and the Cardinals probably are the favorite, right? Um, I mean, I don't know. I feel like they're probably pretty close with the Cubs. Yeah. Um, the offense still seems like the biggest. Uh, I guess I, I kind of go back and forth on yeah. on two things. Like one is the fact that it wasn't a good offense last year, and just by the fact that we're losing uh, 
our, our cleanup hitter, mm-hmm. it has potential to be worse. Uh, I think the flip side to that for me is that Goldschmidt, at least I hope, had a down year. I hope that wasn't yeah. kind of um, what he's going to be going forward. You know, who knows with Carpenter, but, you know, if they're able to utilize uh, Tommy Edmond uh, strategically like they did last year, like them, I don't know. Um, maybe this offense can have some punch to it. Uh, we still got to see what, what their solution is going to be in left field. If uh, Dylan Carlson has a monster spring, um, I certainly see no reason why he shouldn't just start the season in left field. Uh, right. Or, or 12, 12 days into the season uh, become the left fielder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also wouldn't mind seeing a bona fide uh, left fielder that, you know, has already uh, has a pedigree uh, in MLB, uh, whoever, whoever that may be. I know like what, Jacques Peterson has been uh, mentioned as uh, like a, uh, he's not a free agent, right? That would be yeah. It'd be a trade. It'd be a trade. That's yeah. that's one that doesn't move the needle for me. I don't really understand the. I mean, Jock Peterson to me is a basically a guy, a, a kind of you know, more of a platoon type player. Um, I don't feel like he moves the needle so much beyond the you know all of the existing guys that the Cardinals have that are maybe potential to step you know like a tyler o'neill or things like that i mean he, he's better than that he has more of a track right. record than that but i just i i don't see a big upgrade in that particular move so yeah no i but are you worried about the offense though or i mean well i am but i also feel time, like right? you know the, the they could also improve by just continuing to lean into pitching and defense um you know i mean the yeah. the offense was not a strength last year and they uh, you know, finished second in the National League, if you want to think about it that way. Um, you know, so if they went out and, you know, I, I mean, to me, and I, maybe this uh, KK move shuts the door on it, but, you know, a, a move like Hinjin Ryu or somebody like that, you know, um, you know, just further really bolster that, uh, you know, that pitching staff. Um, I think that's another way to potentially, you know, improve the team. So, yeah, it feels like in any case, um, you know, I, I think what will improve this team is if they embrace flexibility and if they are willing to part ways or reduce the role of certain kind of, you know, longstanding guys. You know, I mean, if if it comes to it and they have a significant way to upgrade at third base, uh, you know, and Matt Carpenter is now a bench player. That's that's a move I'd like to see him do. Um, you know, on that pitching side, again, maybe I, I mean, you know, Adam Wainwright is, uh, you know, he's a he's a kind of back end rotation starter at this point. If they can add better starting mm-hmm. pitching options, and he's just no longer in that sort of top of that group, you know, maybe he moves. But I feel like there's also just this thing with flexibility, and that's what, one reason I was really intrigued when they. I heard they were going after Ryu is, you know, he's a guy who he's not a 200 inning pitcher in his career. You know, he's a guy who is mm-hmm. just from injury and whatnot. He's, you know, he's going to throw 130, 150, something like that. You know, you're going to need other guys in that rotation. And one thing I've really just admired that the Dodgers have done for several years now is that's just how they approach it, you know, and they, I mean, they basically run, you know, something like an eight man rotation out there every season. And, you know, guys are going to kind of come and go. I mean, Kershaw, when he's healthy, he's in there all the time. But, you know, I mean, uh, how many seasons now have they had Rich Hill out there? And, you know, they know that Rich Hill is going to, 
right. you know, make three DL trips throughout the season. But when he's in there, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be really solid. And they just, they have all of these, you know, component pieces that they can kind of fit in there. And so, you know, I think there's some potential there for the Cardinals. I mean, uh, this, uh, you know, KK, if he's got that potential to be a guy who, you know, eats, uh, you know, is, is in your rotation for, for some of the season, that could be, you know, that could be great. I mean, Alex Reyes, uh, you know, who knows what we're getting with him, but if he's, you know, if he's able to, you know, to start, uh, you know, maybe that works out. Uh, Carlos Martinez, you know, I mean, does Carlos Martinez have to pitch 200 innings to be viable as a starter? And if not, he has to go to the bullpen. Uh, you know, is there a way for, for him to, you know, spend most of his time, you know, starting, but just accepting that, well, he's not gonna, you know, he's not going to pitch 220 innings this season. I feel like with with a little more creativity in how they approached um, some of their lineup construction, I feel like that's a place for some potential improvements as well. Yeah, that's uh, those are some interesting points. Like the Dodgers are just such a good, well oiled oh machine, uh, and they have been for uh, almost going on a full decade now. Yeah. Uh, and, and that reminds me, like the Dodgers were very good at using the 10 uh, day IL to their advantage. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think they were kind of the first team to get out in the front of that, but they changed that, right? Is it back to 15? Yeah. You know, they they changed it and I do believe they got rid of the 10, but I I could be wrong. Cause I, there was, I think there was also just a restriction on how many times you could go back and forth. Or I, I, uh, yeah, I don't remember the specifics. The other thing you said, uh, that reminded me of something, um, you know, with, with starters, just uh, not just like uh, back end of the rotation starters, but even like, y- you know, guys at the top of the rotation, you don't see many guys pitching more than 200 innings uh, a year anymore uh, for a whole host of reasons. And I wonder if as these guys, you know, the current crop, as they start to retire, are we going to have to kind of like adjust the Jaws metric for Hall of Famer for pitchers? just because the innings aren't going to quite be there uh, as they were for, for the generation before them. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, um, and I, I mean, I don't you know, recall offhand exactly how kind of jaws is, is uh, calculated, but I mean, I think definitely, but I feel like that's, yeah. I mean, guys now also don't hit, you know, it's different than, you know, the way guys pitched in the, you know, sixties and seventies. And that's very different than guys pitched in the, you know, forties. And yeah. so, um, it just kind of feels like a kind of a, a continuing, you know, a continuing evolution, I guess. No, no, you're right. That's kind of, I guess we've adjusted to those things uh, before and I'm sure they, I'm sure they will again. Um, Ben, that's about all I have for, uh, what we've discussed so far, unless you have something else to add. If not, we can go ahead and go on to the trip of the week. Yeah. I'd love, love to hit the trip of the week. Okay. Well, uh, since you're on, it seems appropriate to talk about Mike Shannon because you you wrote that piece about Mike Shannon last year that I that I loved so much about his uh, the way he pronounces uh, names uh, and how uh, creative he can be sometimes with that. Uh, you know, Mike Shannon was up for the uh, Ford Frick Award this year, uh, given as I understand it to a basically announcer every year who then is elected to the Hall of Fame. Uh, he did not win it. It actually went to Hawk Harrelson of the White Sox. Uh, Right, I, which I is an absolute travesty. What'd you say? Which, which is an absolute travesty. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I, I really wanted Shannon uh, to win it. Uh, I, I will say this in defense of Hawk. Uh, I kind of like it when each team has their own announcer with a personality. 
Like, you know, you hear right. Hawk Harrelson talking and you know exactly who you're listening to. You right. know exactly like, all right, this is a White Sox game. Like, uh, it, it kind of reminds me, I remember, I think it was like Chuck Klosterman or something wrote when Al Davis died, the old Raiders owner. Yeah. He kind of talked about how like Al Davis was the only owner who like built a team like based on his own personality. Right. <laughs> you know, so I kind of like these, uh, I don't know if that's a great comparison, but I do kind of like, you know, back in the day when each team kind of had their old crusty yeah. announcer, um, those guys are kind of going by the wayside. Uh, but yeah, I, I also don't have to spend a whole season with Hawks. So right. uh, who knows how I would feel if I had to do that. Uh, but, you know, Mike Shannon has basically been with the Cardinals organization since 1962. Uh, so almost going on 59 seasons uh, with the Cardinals organization, you know, Red Shandy's always seemed like to be the one constant with the Cardinals, like a guy who had just been with the organization from way back when. And, uh, you know, that kind of obviously ended uh, two seasons ago when, when he passed away. Uh, and I feel like Mike Shannon has kind of taken over that mantle. I mean, you know, he overlaps, I mean, not by much, but he overlaps playing time with Stan Musial. And he is still with the organization, still announcing games, uh, you know, still making us laugh, still telling uh, wonderful stories that, you know, I, I think a lot of non-Cardinals fans don't quite understand the affinity we have for him, but it's kind of similar to whether it's just, you know, visiting your grandpa and listening to him tell, and I don't mean to say grandpa because, you know, Shannon's older, but just like, you know, just he's a character, you know, he's someone that he's in your life and you always enjoy having him around. Uh, but he was also a, a pretty solid player, albeit he had a he had a very short career, uh, partly because of, uh, I believe he had a kidney disease that cut his career short. But his best season was probably in 1966. And I love that you can go to Mike Shannon's Fangraphs page uh, because he seems like, you know, such like an old school player that I love that you can also look at their stats on Fangraphs and look at all their new stats. Um but if you want to look at maybe what would be his best season, you probably go to 1966. Uh, he was uh, a little banged up that year. He only had 501 plate appearances, but he hit 288, uh, had a 339 on base, and slugging 462. And if you want to look at um, uh, w- WRC Plus, he had 123 WRC Plus. Uh, and he also hit a home run. He played in three worlds, different World Series with the Cardinals 1964, 67, and 68. And he hit a home run in each of those World Series. And I always thought that was a, a very cool stat about Mike Shannon. And last thing, he's from St. Louis. And, you know, I know it was more common back in the day when they scouted more regionally, but it's always cool that the Cardinals have so many players, uh, so many different people in their organization, uh, luminaries in their organization, who are, who are basically local. You know, you had Whitey Herzog from New Athens, Illinois. You had Red Shandis from Germantown, Illinois. Those are basically both in the St. Louis area. Um, Dahl Maxwell is from Granite City. Uh, you know, so I always thought that was another cool thing about the Cardinals. And last thing I will say with regard to Shannon is there's this old Fangraphs podcast with Carson Sestouli that you can find online where he interviews Mike Shannon. I believe it was part of his uh, announcer series that he used to do every year. And it's a wonderful, wonderful interview. It's a, it's incredible contrast listening to Carson Sestouli talk to Mike Shannon. So if you want to find that, uh, I would recommend Googling it. It really is worth your time. 
uh, last thing I will say, uh, and just like last time, we somehow lost uh, Ben. I don't know if his computer uh, shut off again, if he forgot to plug it in again. But yeah, he's, he's very good at ghosting at the end of a podcast. I kind of salute him for that. But uh, we were talking before we logged on uh, or before we started recording that right when we logged on tonight, we saw that uh, Hayden Fry, the old Iowa football coach, died. Um, he was kind of a uh, pretty. For those you who don't know, he was definitely like a legend in the uh, in Big Ten football. And I bring that up because Ben actually made a movie called uh, "Birth of the Cyhawk" uh, about the football game that took place between Iowa and Iowa State. That still takes place between Iowa and Iowa State. And the guys who made the trophy uh, to award to the winner of that game. And I've seen it; it's excellent. Uh, and I'm not a fan of either Iowa or Iowa State, but I am a fan of college football, and I would recommend it to anyone who is a fan of college football. I believe you can buy the DVD right now or find it somewhere else online. I'll let Ben clarify that later. But yes, it's called Birth of the Cyhawk. Definitely check that out. You can also follow Ben Godar on Twitter at Ben Godar. You can follow me on Twitter at AlexCard79. This is going to be the end of this episode. Thank you for tuning in. Tara and I should be back next week. I think we might have a short Christmas episode, but thanks for tuning in. Go Cardinals.